Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have your Bibles, if you would, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Of course, here we are the first day of Passover. We're a day before what Christians around the world celebrate as Resurrection Day. We're getting ready to move from this facility over to New Life Church on Fallbrook, just past Victory near Irwin, I think. That's the cross street that comes to my mind. Is that about right, Dan? Yeah, and it's right on the western side of the street. So those of you that are coming from the 101, you want to come off of Shoop, get on to Ventura, come on over to Fallbrook, go on up, and it'll be on your left. We're closer to the 101. We're down, we're across the street, not far on an angle, from one of the synagogues down there and one of the Jewish uh, Hebrew schools as well. So that's kind of fun that we'll be a little closer to our people that we want to reach and to bring the good news to, or at least where they gather together. I wanted to share with you some thoughts in terms of our transitioning over, especially in light of the resurrection of Messiah. Because when we think of the resurrection of Messiah, we're not just thinking of one who has died who is alive again. That certainly is true, but it's not true enough. Not only did he come back to life, but he's alive today as well. When we speak about the resurrection of the Lord, it means that he's, a, he's living now. He's relevant now, not just in terms of the ideas regarding Messiah, not just in terms of what we can glean from his teachings to meet, live maybe a more f- f- fulfilled, full life, but I mean he is here with us. And he can reside within us. He said to his disciples when he celebrated Passover with them, not only have I been in you or the spirit of God will be in you, but he will be in you. Not only with you, but he will be in you. He uses the future tense, something that had not yet occurred. The indwelling presence of the spirit of God is the indwelling presence of Messiah himself. Messiah is alive and he indwells us. That's something he had not done until his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the gift of the Holy Spirit that occurred at Shavuot or Pentecost recorded in Acts chapter 2. That's why he said in the upper room, and he will, future will be in you. He had not yet taken up residence within them yet, but he would And he would do that when we got into the book of Acts. By the way, tomorrow night, isn't the movie AD or something? 
Uh, I haven't seen any kind of previews or anything on it, but certainly they're going to deal with that because they go into the first half, I think, of the book of Acts. So the whole point is that Messiah's resurrection is not a resurrection from death to life, but resurrection from death to an ongoing life that impacts us today in the 21st century. So you know that old hymn, you know, he walks with me and he talks with me, you know that. Well, that's very true. He now walks with us. He indwells us and he lives within us. So as we move forward and as we go to the next stop, this is not easy things. Transitions are challenging. They are difficult. They are exhausting. And I have to say, the only reason we are able to make the transition is because we as a body are working together. And this week, we saw it, or at least I experienced it, on three occasions. On the one hand, it was Wednesday evening when I was up in Valencia. About a year ago, they had invited me to come back. I had shared Passover with them last year, and they had asked if I'd come back and do this again this year. Last year, there was about 300 people that came out. This year, there was over 600. But this year, I asked if our worship team could come and join me because I wanted them not just to hear what I had to say, but rather that they might experience something of Beth Ariel to them. And they said, yeah, we'd love for them to come. And this is a church of over 3,000. This is a church that had like three different worship teams. And we were sort of out of our element. You know, I mean, we were on like a huge stage and there's like a big area, a big sanctuary that we're in front of. And we're sort of trying to get used to how do we play here? Can we hear hear each other, etc.? But, you know, it took the sacrifice of the musicians Wednesday night, get off work a little early, drive north to Valencia, get there around 4, 430. I think they arrived in order to do the sound checks to get set up. And then to meet with the leadership, to meet with those that are in charge of things. You know, when you have a church that big, you just can't wing it. Everything is sort of set and it's, you know, goes according to plan. So they would have on their screen as people were filing in, they put a number up there, you know, five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. And when it came down to one minute, the worship team was to go on. We don't know anything like that. You know, that's, that's a little confusing for us. We just sort of wander up there when we're ready, you know, and usually we're not. And we're saying, hey, Gary, where's your microphone? Get it on. Come on, let's go, you know. And we're saying, whoa, 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 it's one. Do I have everything? You know, we're, we're like, we don't know what's going on. And then before it even starts, we're in the back room and they're talking with me about, oh, and by the way, you know, they're like throwing all this stuff at me. And, you know, at that church, at the back, they have not only a projector that works, that goes this way, but a projector that projects that way so that, you know, as I'm speaking, the prayers are going up, you know, and everybody thinks I've memorized it all. It's just back there, you know. But then they tell me, you're going to see on the screen, a green light will flash and you'll see cities come up. And so what you have to do is say, hey, we want, because it was being streamed, you know, around the world. Well, they didn't tell me that was happening. You know, if they, if they did, I, I would have told you, but I didn't know that. So there it was in green. And I said, Phoenix, Phoenix, welcome Phoenix. Nice. You know, I don't do that kind of thing, you know, and it was, it was a little unnerving. When you have to do it, but it, it took all of us as a team. 
to sort of come together and say, hey, Gary, we're going to come. We're going to support you. We're going to support Beth Ariel so that they can get an image of who we are. And when they see us, and that's why we have to be on our best behavior. Where's Jamie? But that's why we have to be on our best behavior because when they see any one of us, they see all of you. You know, so if there's any complaints, it affects you. And when they see us, if we're not like, you know, being right, they say, well, what kind of place is that? Do I really want to go? But all, all of us got up there and we were on our best behavior. And, you know, and Jamie was off in the corner somewhere, but he was there with his drums and he was having a time of his life. But that was the first experience for me this week. I mean, there have been other times, but I'm talking about this week, where there was a team that came together that sacrificed and sought not any one person's elevation, but rather a ministry moment being elevated before those who would receive what we had to give. The second really, I put it this way, the second one really preceded that because last Saturday we had a wonderful service here, wasn't it? And that moment of, you know, prayer, and that moment when I came out here, it was sort of like unnerving. I stood there and said, so now what do I do? You know, it was almost like God said, you don't do anything. You just let me do, you know. And, and God was moving and people were praying and rejoicing and expressing their gratitude to the Lord. And it was really a very wholesome, refreshing, uh, reviving moment for me and I'm sure for all of us. But that really sort of crystallized when we all left the service and another, you know, the 45 of us stayed for the next four hours or so. I don't remember how much time to start moving everything. And it was really neat because when we all met together and John coordinated this, I don't know how it would have happened without John because I knew what had to happen. And I'm thinking, gee, how do you do this? You know, we're going to say, go up there, take this, bring it. Where do you bring it? Well, John had it all mapped out, all coordinated, all organized, all of us assigned. You know, Dan Rifkin, he's in charge of making sure when people put things, they put it in the right spot that he had set apart so that the items that are getting discarded, items everybody can take things, items that we're saving were all put together. It sounds simple after it was done, but at the time, anticipating it, for me, it was like just one confusing, you know, swirl of what has to happen? I just couldn't wrap my hands around that and my mind around it at all. And John just laid it out. And I said, oh, yeah, that's simple. I could have done that, you know, but I couldn't think about it. And so what happened? We all gathered together. And I said, OK, I need a team. Brought them up to the cry room. Everything is down. Brought a team over to the usher's closet. Some of the young people, younger people were there. Next thing I opened up, everything's out of there. A group of people downstairs where we have our book table items, all of it just brought over and put in the respective lines over in, you know, uh, one of the classrooms. The chairs that were all set up over in the brick room and over in the chapel, all brought over here. The church people came over, looked at it. It looks like they're going to purchase them. So it's something we don't have to move again or store. So, you know, praise God for that. That's being worked out and discussed. But the whole point is everything was being taken care of by us. Not just them, 
but by us. All of us were participating. All of us were engaged. All of us made it happen. And had there not been that coordination and individuals using their gifts, like John telling us what we needed to do and others of us picking things up and taking them where they needed to go, we would, not, we would still be doing this. We would still be doing this. There's so much stuff. But it worked because we worked as a team. We worked as a body. No one complained with regard to, oh, I don't want to do the closet. You know, I want to move stuff from the cry room. Why do I have to be, you know, there was none of that. It was just, where do you want me? Tell me what to do and I will do it. And then, of course, the uh, Seder last night was another activity that could only have happened if all of us came together. All of us came to attend it. All, again, the worship team and others. Kurt, who wasn't here, was there, as well as his friend David that played some special music. And people that set up things, people that brought the different drinks, people that brought you know, all the items and set it all up. So that we just were able to come in and boom, there it is. But it wasn't just there. It was there because we worked together. And that's what the Lord has been teaching us through the book of Philippians, right? He's been telling us that we need to be in unity. We need to be in one. We need to work jointly and cooperatively together. And that means that not everything we do is what we would like, you know, individually. But we're part of the team, you know, and we've said it once before. I've said it before. You know, the coach calls the play. You don't say, hey, coach, man, you, know, you got it wrong. You know, you run the play. And if it doesn't work, nobody says, see, I told you so. We just say, okay, let's try it again next time. And we move forward with a sense of expectation of what God is doing. If we're going to make a difference, the issue of moving to Fallbrook, being in a different location doesn't make any differences necessarily. It's what we do together as a body in the location that will make the difference. Now, it's, I think it's kind of cool that we're more closer to the synagogue, which might be an indication that we're closer to some of the Jewish community that resides in this part of the valley. That may be true. But nevertheless, we have to come together as a team. And there are changes that have to take place in order for it to work really powerfully and efficiently. And so we're moving our service to 11 I think that will do a number of things for us, or at least it opens the door for opportunities we haven't had before. It means that if the worship team comes in at, say, 8.30, which is what we generally do here, and we might have to get here earlier because we have to set things up, we're not going to have it all for us like this. We have to move things about. We'll need the help of everyone or others to do this, so it's not just on the worship team. But if we come in by 8.30 and we're done rehearsing by 10, that gives us 45 minutes before 11 to come together for whatever we want. You know, we can come together for class. We can come together and do some things with our young people if we wanted to do that. We could have some time before service to pray as a body. We can kind of just mellow and get ready with what we need. Here, it sort of seemed kind of rushed and haphazard. We're sort of running around. You know, it's very difficult for the worship team when we're rehearsing or the dance team was here. We have people that are just coming in, walking about, sitting. You know, we need some time to sort of get ourselves together. And it's kind of difficult when that happens. Over there, it's going to be altogether different because we will have the opportunity to do those kinds of things.
but it will mean working as a body. Now, let me share with you from this passage about um, three things that I think and what I'm hoping we will experience when we make our move over to the Church of Fallbrook. One of my favorite passages on the resurrection of Messiah is found in Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And we read in verse 13, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Yeshua himself came up, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I love this. You know, Messiah is always in control of everything. As I shared last night, when he says to Judas, what you must do, do quickly. Well, Judas couldn't have taken his time. The moment Messiah issues the command, do quickly, he's not going to say, well, before I do that, I think I'll go over here and I think I'll, t- you know, get a cup of coffee, then I'll go down. Then I'll-. No, he's going straight to the source and doing exactly what Messiah tells him to do. You're doing this, you're doing it right now. He comes and he's with these disciples of his that are on the road to this city, this village called Emmaus, and they couldn't recognize him. Why? Because he wouldn't let them recognize him just yet. He's always in control of things. And that gives me great encouragement. There are many times I forget that, that he's in control of things. But when I remember it, and when any of us remember it, we can do anything. You know, when we remember God is in control, then we become bold. Then we become courageous, you know. It's when we are sort of disputing the truth of who our God is, that all kinds of craziness starts coming into our minds and questionings and thoughts of that kind. But think about this. They could not recognize him unless he allowed it. That means whatever happens to us could not have occurred unless he allows it. And if he allows it, there's got to be a good purpose in it. And there is a good purpose here because he wants to reveal to them something of their need. And so what happens? They don't recognize him, but they keep walking together. I think it's so interesting. He asked them, so what are you guys talking about? You know, so what are you guys, you know, what's going on? And they stand there and they price it and their faces are down. They're they're discouraged. And he says, one of them named Cleopas asked him, he said, are you only a visit? You don't know what's going on. I mean, the things that are going on here, it's like hitting the daily news. You know, it's like 9-11. What? Anything happening today? Are you kidding me? This is like one of the worst moments in the history of America. And you're not aware of this? Like, where have you been? And so here in Jerusalem, this is like one of the most poignant moments in Israel's history. And you don't know what's going on? And so he says, no, I I don't. I love that. And then they said, well, this man, Yeshua, who he was a prophet, he was powerful in word, he was a great teacher, powerful indeed, did all kinds of miracles before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they, the Romans, crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And still nothing has changed. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. Now, you know, wouldn't that say something to you? You know, I mean... Just a little, you know, you just got to read a few detective novels. And, you know, if you're looking for the body, he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they say they couldn't find the body. Is it possible, just possible, that the reason for that is because he really did rise from the dead, as he said. But they're thinking they should have found his body. 
You know, if only they found his body, then we'd know that they found his body. That's all they would know. But they say it's the third day. And they went to the tomb, but they didn't find. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. The whole point is, is that these are women. You know, and you know, you can't trust women. Right? That's, that's what they're saying. This is their women's testimony. They said they saw visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it as the women had said, but they didn't see, you know? And so it's, it's just, you would think that they would say, then maybe he really did rise the way he did, but they didn't. And what's on top of it is Yeshua is talking to them about it. The very one they want to see, but they can't see it. But here's the reason why. He said to them, how foolish you are. That is not something you want to hear Messiah say. But unfortunately, I hear him say that quite often to me. You know, that was pretty foolish. I'm still with you. I haven't left you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But you're making it tough for me. You know, that's, that's what he says to me often. How foolish you are. How slow of heart. Here's the key. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So here's the first thing. If we're going to really make the difference we need to make, we have to have hope. Remember what they said? We had hoped he was the one. Hope in the Bible is a necessary expectation that things will be as the word of God says they will. It's really important that our hope is founded on the truth and proper teaching of the word of God. That's what Jesus does. He takes them through the scriptures, properly interpreting them and revealing all that the prophets said was such and such about Messiah. When you understand the word of God properly, then you can have real hope. The problem with these disciples were they didn't understand the word properly. If they did, they would have said the word said he would rise from the dead. These guys are saying they didn't see him and that must be the reason why. So there's a twofold process. The, the trust, the faith factor, which they, he speaks about here, slow to believe, slow to receive and accept the truth of the word of God and the understanding of the word of God so that it is seen as truth. So hope doesn't come from an internal, emotional sort of encouraging moment. It can happen, but what the scripture is talking about is the certainty of the truthfulness of the word of God and the embracing and accepting of it as such. So it means we have to understand the word rightly. That's critical because we can understand the word of God wrongly. And when we understand it wrongly and place our faith and trust in that, and then things don't occur as we hoped they would, then we lose hope. So it's important that we have our teacher, our spirit, the spirit of God teaching us like Yeshua taught the disciples and understanding the word rightly. Paul says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And it's only then and in faith in that rightly divided word that we will have the kind of hope that we need. The second thing that goes on here is after this episode, eventually Messiah reveals himself to him. They see that it is him, and then they return to Jerusalem. 
And they tell them, the Lord is risen and he's appeared. Now in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, the two guys on the road to Emmaus, they were so amazed. He said, didn't our hearts burn within us? I love that expression. John Wesley, by the way, when he had come to faith, he said his heart was strangely warmed. Very often, that is the experience people have when they come to know Yeshua as Messiah. Their internal something or other is warm. There's the sense of arrival. I've got to the right place. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? We became very excited about Messiah is right here. And look at the Bible study. If only I'd taken the notes I should have taken when he had spoken those words. But Paul tells us the same thing. Rightly dividing that word of truth. And while they are in the room with the other disciples, they couldn't stop talking about it. Do you ever have that experience where you've had such a wonderful moment, you just can't stop talking about it? It happened for me in 2004 when the Red Sox won the World Series. First time in 86 years. Everybody said, enough, enough, or no, 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 did you see? No, you know. But when you've had that experience, you just can't stop. And so these guys, they're saying, we just can't stop talking about this. And Messiah says, you know what? I'm not going to wait till they're finished because they're never going to stop. So it says in verse 34, while they were still talking, Yeshua stood among them. He didn't even let them finish, you know? So while they continue to say, this happened, this happened, oh yeah, and that, oh, you remember this, you remember that, and then there he is. And what does he say? Here's the other thing, peace be unto you. So here's the second thing we need to strive for. A hope that's built on the foundation of the word of God, rightly understood and firmly and completely trusted in. But also a peace that can come from only the presence of God in our midst. So the second thing we want to strive for, we want to preserve the unity of the body, which will result in the peace of Messiah dwelling richly within us and among us. As you know, there is nothing more disturbing and anxiety causing than the lack of peace. And your mind just plays over these things and you wrestle with these things. This is why forgiveness is so critical. What forgiveness really is, it's a laying down of one's arms and having peace. That's what it means to forgive. The battle is over. And now peace is attained. Yeshua comes in their midst and he says, peace be unto you. He's ending the discussion about whether he rose or didn't rose. He's ending the debate as to whether or not he fulfilled what the scripture said or didn't. He's ending any kind of questioning of whether or not he is the one to trust in. And so when Thomas had said, unless I put, here's the argument, here's the conflict, here's the battle, here's the fight. Unless I put my hands in his sides and in his feet and his, and his hands and his feet and his scars, I will not believe. You know, imagine all the kinds of non-negotiables we put before people. Unless it's this way, I'm not doing it. Unless it's that way, I'm not, ha- not going to go and do that. Unless that person comes to me, I'm not going. You know, we all do those kinds of ultimatums. And Thomas, one of his own disciples, said, here's my ultimatum. Unless I put my hands on, I'm not believing What's amazing is Yeshua says, okay, here I am. 
But that's just too much for Thomas. And the reality is he didn't need to do that. He knew when he saw him. Peace then comes to Thomas. The fight is over. The battle is accomplished. And he is won over to his Lord. If we're going to go forward wherever the Lord would lead us. In a positive and efficient, effective, significant, spiritual way. We have to have a hope that's based on the rightly divided word of God. And we have to have a peace that can only come by Messiah's presence in our midst. Any other kind of peace is a false peace. You know, and Jeremiah talks about that. They said, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's what happens at the end of time with the false Messiah. He gives a false peace. and Everybody thinks everything is well, but it's not. But when Messiah comes into our midst, there can be a genuine peace that passes all understanding. And then one last thing, if I can draw your attention to it. At the end of this chapter, he said, and look, here it is again. And we can go through a lot of things. But in verse 45, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures rightly. That's a great line, too. means, you know, we need to open our minds. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he opens their minds and he says, this is what is written. Again, it all comes down to the word of God. Every one of these issues, it's the rightly understood word of God. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead, third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, not just the Jewish people, but it will not exclude the Jewish people. And in fact, it will begin with the Jewish people. And according to Paul, it will end with the Jewish people when all Israel is saved. And then he says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There needs to be a hope that comes from rightly understood word of God, a peace that comes from the abiding presence of the Messiah and a power that is given through the work of Messiah's spirit and presence. And so he tells them, in order to go forward, you need the power of the spirit of God. Now, I've not always been very big on focusing on the power of the word of God. Just a little too Pentecostal for me, you know, but... (laughs) I'm just, just, being, just being honest. Although sometimes I wish I was in a Pentecostal church, you know. Power! You know, that kind of thing. But I mean, you know, we, whatever our personality is, whatever the way God has molded us and shaped us, like the Anthonys that are really very secretly down deep inside, a very funny guy, and probably not as quiet as he, as he appears if we can just, you know, just engage him a little bit more. All of us, whatever our theological grid and so on and so forth, though it has to be rightly understood, the Word of God, there is a need for the power of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not, should not be derelativized to our own day and age, as if for some reason he was experienced in the first century, but today, well, you know, we just kind of hope that we do okay, you know. We need the Spirit of God to direct us, to guide us, to lead us, and to empower us to do the work of ministry that he has. We need his gifts that we would be enabled to do what he wants to accomplish. These three things I'd like us to think about. That number one, 
We seek to have that hope, that expectation, that certainty of God's doing his thing through us that is based on a sound understanding of the word of God. That we would be peacemakers. What he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Because we experience the peace of the presence of Messiah in our midst that ends all battles but begins a whole new kind of relationship like Thomas had. And that we, like the disciples, would receive the Spirit of God and in receiving him to experience his power. And to allow his power to unfold. For it is only by the moving of the Spirit of God that individuals come to faith. Is that not true? That's what Yeshua says, like the wind that blows, you don't know the direction. But we need to be born not only of water and blood, as he says, but also by the Spirit. And that's where new life comes from. And if God is going to bring a new birth by his Spirit, then it, and it's going to be through his people, it must be his people who are empowered by his, by his Spirit as well. And so he tells the disciples to wait. And I think what we can learn from this is that we too must Rely upon his spirit to work in us in powerful ways. So as we move together to the next stop, hope, peace, and the power of God's spirit. If that is at work in our midst, it's going to be amazing to see what God is going to do in the next phase of Beth Ariel's history. He's done some amazing things over the history of this congregation. And perhaps the best things are yet to come. We don't know. But that's what we are hoping for, manifesting peace for, and rely upon the Spirit of God for. Let's pray. And while I pray, the ushers can come. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace. Lord, may we be a people as described by your word and as shown to us this day. Infuse us with a hope that stems from your truth. Fill us with a peace that comes from your presence. Provide us with the power that only can come from your spirit residing within us. And we ask this in Messiah's name and for his honor, for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.